Om Namo Narayanaya. A very, very warm welcome to the Guruvayurpan Temple of Brampton's Prabodhan Ashtagam series. Today is our seventh session. Welcome all. Before I introduce our fantastic speaker for today, uh, let us please start with a prayer. Om Ekadandam Mahakayam Tapta Kanjana Sannipam Lambodaram Vishalaksham Vandeham Ganeshaya. Once again, a very warm welcome to everybody. For people who are connecting for the first time and also who do not know much about our temple, um, I would like to invite you to please go on to our website, www.gurvayu.ca to know more. We will also be posting um, this address of the website on the chat box as well. Also to inform that if, every, if anyone who is living locally would like to do seva or volunteer at the temple, please inform us through the chat box so that we can add you to our group. Um, and because we are always looking for volunteers at the temple. Um, so a few ground rules before we start, uh, please mute yourself at all times and do post your questions in the chat. Uh, questions will be asked to Kavita Ji depending on the time um, that we have at the end of the session. So just now just to invite, uh, to invite and, um, and introduce our, our wonderful speaker for today. Uh, Dr. Kavita Chinayan is a cardiologist and a professor of medicine, a wife and a mother. She is the author of Shakti Rising, which won the Nautilus Gold Award for Best Books of 2017. Her other books include Heart of Wellness, Glorious Alchemy, Living the Lalita Sasranama, and Fractals of Reality, Living the Sri Chakra. She is the founder of Shabda Institute. Um, Kavitaji's renditions of uh, Sri Suktam, Lalita Sasnama Stotram, Dakshina Kali, Thyana Stotram, etc. are absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And you can listen to them on YouTube by going to the Shabda Institute channel. Her amazing voice is also an absolute gift of Saraswati Devi along with all her other fantastic talents and supreme intellect. Super pleased and very, very humbled by your presence with us, Kavitaji. A very, very warm welcome once again. So she will be talking to us today about Shakti, the power of life and sadhana. Please go ahead, Kavitaji. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vinitaji. Sri Matre Namaha. I am deeply, deeply honored to be here. Um, to be speaking with all of you today. And um, it's absolutely my pleasure and uh, a privilege to be here. So thank you very much for the invitation. So Shakti. So let's begin at the very beginning. What even is Shakti? Is it a woman? Is it a goddess? Is it the basis for many goddesses? In, in other words, what is the relevance of Shakti in your life, in my life? Turns out these are all relevant questions. And to arrive at meaningful answers to these questions, we don't really have to look very far. We can simply observe our own lives. And here we will see 
how Shakti manifests and dances in our lives. So going back to the very beginning, no matter who we are or where we come from, our life has a very simple pattern, okay? Which is that we are born in a particular family, a society, a nation, a culture. We grow up, we grow old with a series of experiences that shape us. And then we wither away and we die. So the two important constants in all of our lives, doesn't matter who it is, are birth and death. Between the first breath and the last breath is the story of our life, which is a continuous cycle of joy and sorrow, as we are all very, very intimately familiar with. Now, the question is, is there more to this? Is there more to your life, to my life, to our lives? And each of us has perhaps felt uh, a sense of, gosh, is this it? You know, I don't know if you have been through this. I have many times in my life where I felt, I've looked around myself and felt like, what now? You know, is this it? And all this I strive for, you know, which is work for resources and money, notoriety, acceptance, you know, excitement, uh, experiences, partners, kids, whatnot. Is this it? And our rishis, you know, our sages of our um, wonderful tradition, ask the same question. Is this it? But unlike us, their minds had evolved to actually hear the answers from a different plane of existence. And these answers are encoded as what is known as vid. Vid is the root of knowledge. It is the, the root of what we call the Vedas. So vid is eternal knowledge. And this eternal knowledge is disseminated in the four Vedas. And the beauty of this eternal knowledge is that it doesn't matter where we are, doesn't matter who we are, doesn't matter if we are on Earth, or on Jupiter, or on Mars, or in some other galaxy, the truths are unshakable. They're eternal truths. They're eternal algorithmic truths. Now, from the revelation of this eternal knowledge, the rishis gave us an understanding of the map of the universe, which is more than just being born and dying. Right? So finally, we have this answer. Is this it? Turns out it's not. There's more to life than just being born and then eventually dying away. The questions here are, where do we come from? Where do we go after we die? Where does our cycle of joy and sorrow come from? And where does it go away? How come? Why is it so ephemeral? Why does nothing ever last? Why is impermanence the certainty of our life? And, and fundamentally, the question that the Rishis asked is, what is, the to, what is it that all of us want? Yes, we want a good life. We want resources. We want experiences. We want excitement. We want to be known for who we are. We want to be good people or not. 
doesn't matter, but we will die anyway. Then what? What is the point of all of that? That those were the fundamental questions that were asked. And what they heard is this eternal knowledge. And because it was heard, it's called Shruti. Shruti means something that is heard. And it is from this knowledge that we get a view of our of reality beyond what we can see and perceive. So our rishis gave us a view of human life, answering the question, which is, what are we here for? And this map that they gave us is known as the darshan. Okay. So let's take an example. Say you're going from New York to San Francisco, or you're going from Delhi to Hyderabad. Okay. You're going from somewhere to somewhere. So when you look at a map, you know, you just look at a map with, you know, the entire region that is depicted on paper, you'll see that the possibilities of getting from one place to another are endless, right? On the map, at least they're endless. Sure, there may be convenient highways and roads and things like that that are well-marked and delineated, but there may be also other possibilities. For instance, you could theoretically walk through uncharted territories such as forests and jungles and canyons you'd have to cross some rivers you'd have to you know face wild animals and so on the possibility is always there right the different ways of getting from here to there are known as darshanas or views or maps, as I said. Now, if you pick a darshana that speaks of the meaning of life in one particular way, you conform to that view. Whatever the darshana is, it gives us a reference point for reality or truth. And that truth or that reality is known as satyam. Okay, satyam. Satyam is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It is the highest truth. The way the absolute reality is, is known as satyam. Now, the way that the absolute reality functions is known as ritam. So there is the truth and there is the way that depicts or manifests and that is known as ritam, okay? Now, this absolute truth is here. It is the basis of reality. However, we can't access this highest truth or the absolute truth because we live in a relative reality, okay? Now, this re relative reality prevents us from seeing the absolute reality, from perceiving this absolute reality, because the relative reality is fundamentally made up of dualities, okay? When you say something is good, for example, it's always in re relation to something else that is not good. When you say that you feel that something is beautiful or desirable, it's always in relation to something else that is not beautiful, that is not desirable. 
You can't really evaluate your experience as being one or the other without the possibility of the opposite also being there in the realm of existence. So our relative reality is made up of dualities, which come from our conditioning, okay? And this conditioning is known as samskara, samskara, or you can also call it vasana. The way we react or we act in a given experience is known as karma. Karma means action. So the way we act or react in a given experience is known as karma. And when we perform an action, it creates a psychic, mental, emotional, and a physical signature. This signature is known as sanskara. And this sanskara then becomes the way we continue to act and react in other circumstances, in other types of experiences. So here from this experience, I collect a samskara and this samskara now becomes the basis of my action in other circumstances and in other experiences. So you see, this is a cyclical thing. It's a never ending cycle. Our actions create these samskaras because we register the results of that action as being good, bad, desirable, undesirable, whatever. So we then act in ways where we are only chasing the good or the desirable, whatever it is, and however it is that we define the good or the desirable. And in this process, we continuously try to avoid pain and we try to avoid sorrow. However, you know, and I know that life doesn't work that way. It keeps giving us what we don't want. It refuses to give us what we want. It gives us what we want and then takes it away. And then it sometimes gives us something we don't want and doesn't take it away, right? And whatever it is that we don't want, we try to keep pushing that away. And in that process, we create more and more and more saskaras. So duality is our way of being. It's our state of being. And it continues to perpetuate duality. When we live from a state of duality, we perpetuate duality. So duality begets duality, which is now our relative reality, okay? So now for a second, let's go back to that concept of absolute reality. Let me ask you this. Can you right now possibly think of that which lies beyond dualities? Can you possibly think of a state beyond your dualities? So to answer this question, how whatever your answer is, hold your thought, to ask ourselves this question, wait, can I even think of a state beyond my mind? We must first understand where in the scheme of things our mind is positioned. Because we can only think from the mind, right? So where is this mind in the grand scheme of things? So what is the mind, first of all? The mind is that entity that registers the world through our senses, 
So we have eyes, we have ears, we have nose, tongue, skin. And this is how we experience the world around us. And this contact of the senses with the external world is registered in the mind. Okay, so now the, the mind doesn't function alone. It functions with the intellect, which is also known as buddhi. It functions with the intellect to make sense of whatever it is that is being brought in from the world around us. Whatever the senses are bringing in through these sense organs, the mind has to make sense of it. And it does so with the help of the intellect. In making sense of the world, we need actually another entity here. And that entity is called the ahankara. Ahankara is the sense of being a person. Right now, as you're sitting here, you have the sense that you are an individual. You are a unique individual. Like your, the, your sense of yourself is not drifting off and becoming continuous with your environment, right? You're here, your computer screen is in front of you. It's the computer screen is not you. You are you, the screen is the screen. That sense of separation is what is known as the ahankara. Now, the ahankara is the one that makes you feel like you're not the same as the person next to you. You have an individuality. You have a sense of being separate because of your life history, your experiences, and your body and your mind, which are unique to you. And this is different from the person sitting next to you. It's different from the objects that are around you. This individuality is known as ahankara. So in order to make sense of the world around us, we need three entities. We need the mind, we need the intellect, and we need the ahankara. So it's called manas, buddhi, ahankara. We need all three of them, okay? Now remember, why are we here? We're talking about that question. Can you imagine or can you think of that state, which is beyond dualities. Now, to answer this question even more deeply, let's take this example. Let's say we are all on a safari in Africa, okay, all of us together. And we are all watching a lioness hunt an antelope or a, or a deer. Okay, we are our gazelle. We are all watching this intently. That event is taking place, which is common to all of us. And yet, each of us will have a different reaction. Each of us will be rooting for one of the two animals. And some of us will be thinking about the lioness and why she needs to eat. And others will feel like, this is completely unfair. I, nobody should be eating meat at all, including the lioness, right? We may have these kinds of reactions. There's a common event. 
each of us is experiencing it differently. And we are experiencing it differently based on our own mind, right? The manas, the buddhi, and the ahankara, all of which are conditioned by our unique life experiences. So here too, in the natural world, in the jungle, in the, on the, in the African savanna, we will continue to have a sense of this is right, this is wrong, this is not good, this is good, who should win, who should lose, we're going to continue to have that duality. In other words, the mind itself is a product of relative reality, which is why we cannot possibly think of the absolute reality, which lies beyond dualities. Okay, the mind itself is a product of the relative reality. In other words, to access this absolute reality, we have to go beyond the mind. So the map or this darshana gives us a way to do exactly that, to go from our relative reality to the absolute reality. And that is to understand. And the way we do that is we understand the satyam, the absolute reality, through the rhythm, the way it is functioning, the way this absolute reality is percolating down to our relative reality. Because once we know how it is coming down, then we can figure out how to go up. In Tantra, which is one of the many traditions of the Indian subcontinent and you know, other parts of Asia, the ultimate reality, this absolute reality, is known as, is called Shiva Shakti. Shiva Shakti or Shakti Shiva. In this scheme, abs the absolute reality is the ultimate Brahman as we would call in Vedanta, for instance. We would call this absolute reality Brahman, which is Shiva and Shakti in union, in perfect union. In this darshana, as in, in Tantra, we see how Shiva Shakti is going to unfold, this absolute reality is going to unfold to become limited in time and space. Now, when we say absolute reality, it is already beyond time and space because just like the mind and the buddhi and the ahankara, time and space are also elements of relative reality. And so to understand absolute reality, we have to go beyond time and space as well. So here we understand how Shiva Shakti the absolute Brahman is going to become limited in time and space in this relative reality. So we can say that the starting point of this unfolding is when Shiva and Shakti, who were in perfect union, begin to separate. They separate from each other into two facets of absolute reality. There's still absolute reality, but two aspects of it. Shiva is illumination. Prakasha, 
the, the light by which everything else is known. And Shakti is the reflection and self-recognition of that illumination. Okay, so we all have this experience. What happens when you wake up in the morning? So you, you are in deep sleep, you wake up and there is a little transition phase. I'm sure you all have this experience. There's a tiny transition phase where you open your eyes, you really don't even know who you are, what you are, where you are. And then suddenly you remember, you say, oh. And then suddenly you have your list of, oh, I have this meeting and that thing and that thing and that thing today. But prior to all that, for a second, there was no, nothing going on. And you can think of that as a very weak analogy to what I'm saying right now. In other words, when you woke up, didn't know what was going on, there was no separation. And then suddenly when you remembered yourself that, okay, I'm waking up or whatever, your, your understanding or your awareness of yourself is what is known as self-recognition or reflection. So it's like, I love this analogy of Shiva and Shakti separating. Actually, it is Shiva himself or Shakti herself separating. And when they look at each other, when Shiva looks at Shakti, when he looks at himself in the mirror, he sees Shakti. If we are thinking of Shakti being the absolute reality, when she looks at herself in the mirror, she sees Shiva. So it is that self-recognition. So whatever that self-recognition is, that is known as Shakti. So Shiva is the ground of being, the one who is translucent, colorless, and has no attributes, no qualities, no attributes. Shakti is imminent and she is all attributes. So Shiva is formless, Shakti is all forms. Now think of the Shivalinga. You've all seen the Shivalinga, right? Which is a pillar of light that is pointing upwards and it is arising from the yoni of Shakti. Now we ordinarily think of the Shivalinga as a phallus. Here in the Shivalinga, it's very peculiar because the phallus isn't going into the yoni, right? It is penetrating the yoni and going upward and outward, symbolizing that where we can really find Shiva or the formless is in and through Shakti or form. So Shiva is without any, any attributes. And without Shakti, Shiva becomes Shava. Shava means corpse because she is the one who animates him and makes him Shiva from Shava. Okay, so you're probably familiar with the Saundarya Lahiri, which is one of the quintessential texts in various traditions, actually not just Shaktism, but also in some, um, some uh, sampradayas of Vedanta. In that, the very first verse talks about this. Okay. Shiva Shaktya Yukto Yadibhavati Shaktaf Prabhavitum 
नचे देवं देवो नखलु Basically, what what the author is saying here, it's there is a belief that this was written by Shankaracharya, that Shiva, only when united with Shakti, is able to manifest. Otherwise, he does he cannot even move. He is Shiva. How can then we even understand Shakti? How is it even possible to understand Shakti? And it's even the great devas, even the greatest celestial beings are unable to actually understand Shakti. Shakti who is adored by Shiva, Vishnu and Brahma. Everybody adores Shakti and yet nobody knows who she is. Right? So in other words, Shakti is hard to understand because she is all attributes, even those of Shiva. Any attributes that you can think of Shiva are also Shakti. If you say, well, he's calm, that calmness is Shakti. If you say he's ferocious, that ferociousness is Shakti. If you say he's benevolent, his benevolence is Shakti. He is the one that drinks the halahala, that, you know, the poison from the Amrita Matanam. Well, she is the one that makes all of that happen. She is the one that even gives him the ability to swallow or not. She is all of his attributes. In fact, she is all attributes everywhere throughout creation. She, everything is Shakti because she is everything that manifests. Now, as soon as Shiva and Shakti separate in that, that realm of absolute reality, our Shastras tell us that three other beings come into existence. Three other entities come into existence. Icha Shakti, Jnana Shakti, Kriya Shakti. Icha Shakti is will, Jnana Shakti is knowledge, and Kriya Shakti is action. In other words, of her own will, Shakti, who was previously unlimited, unencumbered, begins to limit herself into this universe, into the stars, into the galaxies, into the planets, into the infinite species that inhabit this uh, universe. You may remember in the Lalita Sasranama, there is a nama which says, A Brahma Gita Janani. She is the originator of Brahma, as well as the smallest, the most minuscule of entities, the viruses. She is the mother of all. She is the originator of all. She is the originator of you and me. She is the one that animates you. She is the one that animates me. Everything that you think you are is Shakti. Everything that I think I am is Shakti. Now, absolute reality, because of Ichagnana and Kriya Shakti, begins to appear as the relative reality. The 
countless worlds that are created in our rights and wrongs, in our perception, in the way we process our lives. In each instance, Shiva and Shakti are splitting again and again to create these worlds. Think about it right now, right at this moment, you're listening to me. And even as you're listening, the way you're processing this is through something you already know. And before you know it, your mind has gone off and created another world out there. Here is this world where we are now participating, but your mind has created umpteen number of worlds from the time I began speaking. Each of those worlds is created through Ichagnana and Kriya Shakti. Each is created by Shiva and Shakti splitting again and again and again. Out there in the macrocosm, we can say that, oh, there is the macrocosm, you know, the one that is captured by the Hubble and the web telescopes. We can see these worlds being created. But here in the microcosm, right now in your body-mind, we are continuously creating numerous worlds simply by being here, interacting through our senses, processing it through the mind, the buddhi, and the ahankara. The manas, buddhi, and ahankara continue to create numerous worlds. We enter each of those worlds that are created in our minds, and we inhabit that. This is the only way for Shiva and Shakti to experience itself, for this absolute reality to experience itself in so many different ways. It's fun, right? It's like a movie with all the masala. It is the only way to experience infinite number of things. In other words, Absolute reality, becoming relative reality with its ups and downs, with its joys and sorrows, is for fun. That's it. Okay? If everything is beautiful and blissful, there's no fun. Right? You get bored of it very easily. Like, what if I told you, here, spend five days sitting in bed, eating grapes, watching TV? You know, I always think of uh, apparently the the uh, epitome of heaven is somebody feeding you grapes. So imagine if you're sitting around, you know, being fed with grapes and watching Netflix for five days. Within two days, you're going to get bored. You're going to be like, where's the action? And so it is on this humongous scale, right? So this is why. Creation has naturally within its fabric, dharma and adharma. Light and shadow, light and darkness are inherent in the fabric of existence. Because if it's only light, if it's only goodness, there would be no fun. So the perception of the relative reality, when no such thing actually exists, is the scheme of the absolute reality. And that is known as maya. Because from the perspective of absolute reality, no such thing is actually happening. But because we are living in relative reality, everything is happening. We are going through joys and sorrows. And that is known as maya. Now, remember what I said about maps. 
Now, if you're thinking, well, is this specific to this, you know, uh, Shaktism, what, what I'm just telling you? No. So it turns out that the concept of a higher absolute reality and a re lower relative reality is not really specific only to this path. So if you, if you are a student of the Bhagavad Gita, we have been exploring the Bhagavad Gita in our satsang for uh, more than a year now. In the seventh chapter, Bhagavan says, Bhagavan Krishna says, Bhumi rapo nalo vayu kam mano buddhi revacha ahankara iti yamme bhinna prakriti rishthada. So he says, earth, water, fire, air, space, mind, intellect, ego. These are the eight components of my material energy, of my lower prakriti. And then he says in the very next uh, verse, he says, apareyam itas tvanyam prakritim vidhi me param. So he says, this is my, that was my inferior energy, Arjuna. But beyond this, but beyond this, I have a superior energy. There is another level of me. This is the energy that comprises the embodied souls who are the basis of life in this world. So there is that lower prakriti and then there is the higher prakriti. Right? So in the, in the Gita, Bhagavan Krishna says again and again and in various contexts that he is the source of everything. And yet, when he's speaking about himself as Brahman, he says, I do nothing. I do nothing at all, Arjuna. And when he's speaking about himself as Ishvara, Ishvara is Brahman with the Maya Upadhi. He says, I'm the one that does everything. I'm the source of everything. So it is that we can understand the map in various contexts and from various standpoints. And here, when we are looking at absolute reality, we can say this is Shiva Shakti. And when we are saying relative reality, it's that we are not able to see it. So now let's see about how Shakti manifests in life. So Shakti means power. So it, Shakti is the power to think, to feel, to act, to dream, to just be. And so there are countless shaktis. Whatever you can conceive of, there is a shakti. Did you say jealousy? Yes, there is one. There's a shakti for that. Did you say innocence? Mm -hmm. Unscrupulous behavior? Oh, yeah. Good? Yes. Bad? Yes. Ugly? Oh, most certainly. Loving? Yes. Fierce? Oh, yes. If it exists, it's Shakti. And pretty much in every circumstance, you can trace everything back to the map of Icha, Jnana, and Kriya. So yes, nothing happens without Icha, Jnana, and Kriya. To even get out of bed, you need these three Shaktis. So you can think of these primordial forces, these primordial Shaktis as are as uh, goddesses that you are familiar with. You can think of this Icha Shakti as Mahalakshmi. You have to have desire. Imagine if you didn't if you didn't feel like getting out of bed in the morning, right? Or you didn't feel like going to the bathroom. 
or you didn't feel like eating. Life would not be possible, right? So you can think of that as Lakshmi. Jnana, the know-how of, okay, I want to get out of bed, but I should know how to get out of bed, right? That is Saraswati. And to actually perform that action is Kali. So you want to eat? Do you want to drive? Do you want to talk? Do you want to walk? Do you want to digest your food? Do you want to fall sick? Do you want to stay healthy? Do you want to do nothing and stay lazy? Doesn't matter. Nothing escapes these Shaktis. Everything in life is a manifestation of Shakti. So whatever you do, there they are. All your powers, your ability to see, smell, touch, think, not think, write, read, listen right now, be distracted, whatever is Shakti. And she is manifesting right now. And right at this moment, Shiva is arising through her, through this Shakti, through this power as the light of illumination or Prakasha. So in Tantra, we harness this manifestation. To, we try to find Shiva and Shakti right here in this experience. And we can do that in many ways, many, many ways. Mantra, yantra, meditation, contemplation, chanting, singing, walking, dancing. It doesn't matter. As long as we are turned from the relative reality towards the absolute reality, and we are turned from going from the we are turned towards going from the dualistic ideas of right and wrong to the non-dual that is beyond both and includes them, we are headed in the right direction. So the most important thing to understand is that what we are seeing around us, including our bodies and minds, is a derivative of the ultimate reality. So we can understand this absolute reality through Another concept, which is that of samashti or and vyashti. Samashti is integral. It's the whole, which is more than the sum of the parts. Vyashti is the derivative of that whole. So if you look at the Sri Chakra, for instance, it is the samashti. It is the whole. And any particular element of the Sri Chakra, such as a tiny petal or a particular triangle is a derivative or vyashti. And once we start to understand the integral through the derivative, then we are moving from the relative reality to the absolute reality. So now let's go back to Shiva Shakti for a moment. Shiva is the ground of being, the transcendent, the formless. And all of Shiva's powers are Shakti. Shiva cannot function without Shakti. And because Shakti has all attributes, we saw how even Shiva's attributes are Shakti. He is absolute consciousness with no attributes or activity. And she is all activity. So now we see that in some traditions, right? Now we come to this question of why is there a need to understand this concept of light and dark in Tantra or in actually in any holistic path? So in some traditions, we dichotomize our relationship with the divine, right? Where God or goddess is only light. 
right? Only beautiful, only light, only, you know, all wonderful qualities. In this scheme, we, we can see problems at various levels. For example, if God does only good, how come that there is so much bad in the world? Why is there so much suffering? And people suffer from this. You know, when you, when you try to embrace God as only that that is, you know, from the concept of duality of only light and not the dark, then we start to suffer from these kinds of questions. So such an approach lends itself to other problems, which are much more important for our sadhana, which is that we start to repress our own darkness to such an extent that we think that it doesn't even exist, these dark parts of ourselves. But of course it does. Everybody around you will tell you, right? But we are so unconscious to it. We have suppressed it so much because we don't want to go there that it shows up in, uh, in the way we behave with everybody, in the way we interact in the world, and yet we're not even aware of it because we only want to see the light in ourselves. In Shaktism, we approach the world and we approach ourselves in a very different way. We give each form, each form of ourselves, each aspect of ourselves, a name. We bring awareness to this. For example, in the Sri Chakra, you see the Ashtapashas are very much a part of the Sri Chakra. You have to cross that in order to go higher. Ashtapashas are the eight types of limitations, the noose that keeps us back, such as anger, jealousy, hatred, and so on. So in the Sri Chakra, each aspect, anger is a goddess, jealousy is a goddess, hatred is a goddess, everyone is a Devi. Each is a reflection of Lalita Devi, Mahatripura Sundari. And we see that each one will contain within herself the dualities of both the light and the dark. And we learn to worship the goddess like this, this particular aspect of Devi. And we worship and engage with that goddess so that she can take us from the dark aspect of that energy to a quality or an attribute that is wholesome and opens us to absolute reality. For instance, if we can transmute anger, we would find the energy of understanding. If we transmute jealousy, we would access inclusion. If we transmute hatred, we would find compassion. So in order to transmute these energies, we have to first recognize that I have it. It's in me. Even though I am part of the divine, I have it. And only when I see it and I process it and I see how it is functioning in the world, can I transmute it. And that transmutation happens through the worship of each of these forces as Shakti. So as long as we are unconscious of 
these kinds of traits, they continue to rule over our life. But when we become conscious of them as aspects of Shakti, then they can lead us to the absolute truth. In this way, the relative reality becomes a gateway to the absolute reality. This is how we can find Shakti in our day-to-day -day lives and honor her as she arises right here in this moment as the breath, as the heartbeat, as the mind and the intellect and the ahankara functioning at this moment. S becoming humble and asking for her grace for transmuting all of these limitations into something greater, something higher. So I hope you found this useful. Thank you very much for your attention. I will stop here and take any questions. Srimatrenama. Thank you so much, Kavita Ji. That was beautiful. There is so much to learn and so you so much to understand here. And I'm hoping that we can all start the journey of um, transmuting these Ashtapashas and kind of trying to overcome and find our own goddesses within us, right? That is the that that would be amazing as a, as a community, as a society, if we can overcome all of these, what a beautiful world it would be. You know, yes. uh, yeah. So we do have quite a few questions. So I'll maybe um uh, ask the first one, which is, you know, what is the significance of chanting Saundarya Lahari, even if you don't know what it means? See, chanting is is nice. It it creates, um, you know, numerous studies have been done, for instance, looking at Sanskrit chanting. It creates uh, very um, specific kinds of pathways, neural pathways, electrical and hormonal pathways in our brain and in our physiology. So chanting in Sanskrit is actually very useful because of the way the phonetics are, which I won't go into. You can actually benefit simply from chanting without knowing the meaning. But when you add meaning to that, it takes you to a whole new level. So I hope that answers the question. Yes, thank you very much. Um, so uh, there is also a question about what is the cause for the separation of Shiva and Shakti or what is the cause for their imbalance? It is called Svatantra. Why? Because they can. That's why. It is Svatantra means absolute freedom. If, if the absolute reality could not do all this, then it would not be absolute reality right? It is limited, that it cannot do that. It can. And therefore, that is the answer to the question. Why? Because it can. Thank you. Um, and this is also related to or connected to that. To better understand or experience Shakti, we need to free the mind from conditioning. How do we uncondition the mind? Yeah. So that's what I was saying. Through sadhana through contemplation to uh, through meditation through and in my opinion it's not enough to just meditate it's really important to first of all have a darshana so following a darshana is very important whatever that is that darshana is that sampradaya is following that and then aligning ourselves with that darshana and in that context meditating Mantra, mantras, yantras, 
whatever that whatever the practices are of that darshana that will help you in unconditioning your mind from that standpoint thank you um this might be a bigger question but is maya cause for the imbalance no maya is the result of the imbalance okay and there is another question where is consciousness the same as awareness yeah, you can say that. Uh, you can use those words interchangeably, I would say. And um, But then, you know, it, it really depends on what you're calling consciousness and what you're calling awareness. Because uh, you can also say choiceless awareness, right? It's a, it's a term that uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti used to use quite a bit. Uh, choiceless awareness means Shiva, doing nothing. There's no choice there. But if you just say awareness that has some kind of a choice, that is, there is still some conditioning there. So it depends on what you're calling that. But in general, those words are used interchangeably. Thank you. Um, and is the separation of Shiva from Shakti just a play? If so, why it happens and why it happens when it creates suffering? It, I wouldn't say it happens when it creates. I would say... It is because of that, that there is suffering, that there is um, the absolute reality becoming relative reality and creating all these ups and downs. That's When you say suffering, that means it's a duality. That means there is a state where there is no suffering. And all of these are the, the very in the very fabric of existence. So wh why should it happen? Because as I said, that's what makes it fun. Otherwise, it would be a very boring movie. So you can say, at least in this tradition, it is said that the reason for all of this, the reason for samsara, the reason for suffering, the reason for happiness, pain, all these dualities is because the one wants to experience itself in every possible way. So you are Shiva Shakti. I'm Shiva Shakti. And through me, Shiva Shakti experiences life in a in one way, through you another way. And that's the only way for it to enjoy all types of um, experiences. Thank you. Um, that was all the questions, but maybe if, uh, if you don't mind uh, letting us know how you started on this journey of learning more about Shaktism and, you know, um, if you could just direct us as to what might be the right path to take. I know each of us would take our own path, but where do we start? You know, I think um, very, it's, it's really um, something that people fall into, I would say, um, but Given the fact that everybody's you're here, that means you already have an interest in it. And whatever it is that calls you to it, you know, be it, um, I, I feel like I want to explore this more. Not necessarily this darshana of Shaktism. Maybe you like chanting. Maybe you like um, the Yoga Sutras. Maybe you like, um, you know, Vishnu Sahasranama. Maybe you like something else. Whatever it is that you like, I would suggest going deeper into it. It doesn't matter what it is. Because once you dedicate your time and your energy to something, it will take you to where you need to be. 
because that's exactly what has happened with me. I never thought I would be writing books on Shaktism. You know, I'm a busy cardiologist, but that's the way it is. You become interested in something, you go deeper, you go deeper, you go deeper, and and it pulls you through that in into its own rhythm. And um, that's all there is to it. And have fun along the way. That was fantastic. That was a great advice, Kavita Ji. And I'm hoping that um, most of us would start the journey. If not, if we hadn't started before, that we could start today and learn from, you know, from here on, you know, and, and come up with, the, you know, ex finding ourselves, finding the Shakti within us and, you know, living a full life. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. And it was an absolute blessing to have you with us. I'm very, very thankful. And I have, I'm very honored to have uh, met you virtually, at least. And yes, so if you don't mind um, doing the Shanti Mantra, please go ahead. Sure. Sure. Om Shanno Mitra Shamvarunaha Shanno Bhavatvariyama Shanno Indro Brahaspati Shanno Vishnururukramaha Namo Brahmane Namaste Vayo Twameva Pratyaksham Brahmasi Twameva Pratyaksham Brahmavadishyami Ritam Vadishyami Satyam Vadishyami Tanmāmavatu, tadvaktāramavatu, avatumā, avatu vaktāram. Thank you so much, Kavitaji. Have a great night, everybody. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.